You may be seated. So I ask you to turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 8 and 9. But last week we looked at verses uh, 4 through 7 of Philippians chapter 4. And there the Apostle Paul teaches of the importance of both joy and peace. In fact, the Apostle Paul commanded the Philippians, and he commands us, uh, to rejoice. And the fruit of rejoicing, as we talked about last week, is gentle forbearance. Well, the Philippians and us, we're able to rejoice because we're free from anxiety. Maybe the opposite of rejoicing is to be anxious, to be burdened with those anxieties that well up. And also in that passage last week, the Apostle Paul says that we are to cast our anxieties upon the Lord in thankful prayer. And when we do that, we're given the gift of God's peace. So joy, gentle forbearance, thankful prayer, peace. Those were the realities that we talked about last week. So last week we also asked a question, just very briefly answered it. The question was, how can we cultivate joy? And the answer is what we see in verse 8. And we just briefly talked about one way to cultivate joy is to meditate upon the right things. And that's just obvious, right? As we're meditating, even the things that we have lifted up in song today, the scriptures that we have read that just declares these wonderful benefits of God as we meditate upon those things, of course we're going to overflow with joy. That's, that's the way it works, and that's good. But we want to look further today at verses 8 and 9. Not only does meditating on the right things cultivate joy in us, but it actually results in right practice in living the Christian life. And so if you would take your Bibles again and turn to Philippians chapter 4, we'll be looking at verses 8 through 9. And I want to pray before we read scripture, but even before we pray, I want to give you today's themes. It's simply this, that when we meditate on the right things, we practice in the right way. When we meditate on the right things, we practice living the Christian life in the right way. Of course, all by God's grace. Let us pray. Father, this practice of meditation is so misunderstood in our culture today. So many ways our culture would have us meditate all wrong. The only right way is the biblical way. And I pray that you would teach us about that this morning. And the link that you have established between meditating on the right thing and living the Christian life in the right way as a function of your grace. Bless me as the preacher that I would be faithful and true to your word. Bless all of us as hearers that we would be faithful. And we trust you, O God, the Holy Spirit, to apply your word to our very hearts this morning and change us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now God's word for God's people. Philippians 4, 8 through 9. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence 
If there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. The word of the Lord is eternal. It stands firm in the heavens. It is perfect. It is perfect. And it does revive the soul. And may it revive our souls even today. So our sermon outline is two points. And it is meditating on the right things, right meditation, and practicing in the right way, right practice. Right meditation. Paul says in verse 8, think about these things. So Paul commanded the Philippians to rejoice, and now he commands the Philippians to meditate, and he gives us the right things on which we are to meditate. So the obvious question is, what is meditation? What is meditation, at least one way the world thinks about meditation? Well, there's a society, it's called the Foundation for a mindful society. And they have a website that is entitled Mindful. Healthy Minds, Healthy Living. And so this particular society pushes what they call mindful meditation. And mindful meditation, according to this society, is simply this. That you are to empty your mind of everything. Think of nothing. You only have one task, and that one task is to focus on your breathing. I heard you laugh and you distracted me. The object of mindful meditation is not to allow the mind to wander off. When we pay attention to our breath, states mindful, we are learning how to return to and remain in the present moment, to anchor ourselves in the here and now on purpose without judgment, end quote. Meditation for a healthy mind and healthy living is understood by the foundation for a mindful society as emptying our minds of everything, focusing only on our breathing. And in my mind, what that uh, means is we are to be mindless. How very different is the Bible's understanding of meditation. I quote J.I. Packer a lot because I find Packer quite helpful, and I quote the book Knowing God a lot because I find the book Knowing God quite helpful. (laughs) He has a wonderful section on meditation. And Packer writes, Meditation is the activity of calling to mind and thinking over and dwelling on and applying to one's self the various things that one knows about the works and ways 
and purposes and promises of God. It is an activity of holy thought consciously performed in the presence of God, under the eye of God, by the help of God, as a means of communing with God. That's a mouthful. Get knowing God, turn to page 23 and read it again. True biblical meditation is not emptying our minds of everything. Quite the opposite, it is filling our minds with the right things. The right things according to God. And the right things according to God, and mindful gets this right, the right things according to God that we are to fill our minds with in meditation do lead to healthy minds and a healthy life. We can agree on that. So Paul lists two, two categories of right things in verse 8. The first category is the whatsoevers. There are six whatsoevers that Paul lists that should be on our minds as we meditate. And then he lists two if any or if any things. And we'll look at these in order. But before I do that, we have to acknowledge this, that these total now of eight qualities that Paul lists in verse 8 that should be on our minds as we meditate were also valued by the Hellenistic culture in which the Philippians were raised and were now living as believers. These were important qualities. The Greek and Hellenistic culture, the Roman Greco culture said, it is good for you to seek after these qualities. But here's the point we must keep in mind that the Hellenistic culture, Greek philosophy, did not assign value to these things inherently. In other words, it was not because of the Greek culture or the philosopher that said these things are important, these things are valuable as qualities after which to seek, but it was God himself that established these things. And if the unbelieving world values them, it's a function of God's common grace. Unbelieving people may embrace them, and that's great. But when the believer embraces these qualities, it's at a totally different level and for a different purpose. So here's the point. Some commentators would suggest that Paul borrows these eight qualities from the, from the Hellenistic culture. And we need to reject that. What Paul does is not borrow, but he gives the true context and meaning to these qualities that have their origin in God and God's truth. And he says, Philippians, you may have grown up being told, seek after these things by your culture, but I'm telling you, yeah, seek after these things, but you must seek after them in the context of your relationship with Christ. And if these things are from God for your good. So let's look at each of the of the whatsoevers uh, rather briefly. Whatever is true. So meditate on what is true, and we need to make this important distinction. What is true defined by God? What is true that is consistent with God's will and God's revealed will and word? What is true that is consistent with the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's what 
you are to meditate upon. Paul says in Ephesians 1 and verse 13, in him you also, when you heard the word of truth, and then Paul defines that, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Paul has gone over aspects of the gospel all throughout the letter of Philippians, and now he says, it is those things that are true, gospel truth, that you are to keep in your mind and to meditate upon them, meditate upon the glorious truths of the gospel. And there's one beautiful example of this that I would give you this morning from the book of Philippians. Turn to Philippians, or turn back to Philippians chapter 2 and verses 5 through 11, this beautiful hymn of Christ that we've already studied. Just as an example of a gospel truth that should be on our minds, that is an example of true biblical meditation. Whatever is true, this is true. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. We have an endless list of gospel truths to fill our minds. This is one example. But what a glorious example this is to meditate upon the humility and the exaltation of Christ for you and me that we would be in heaven. Secondly, whatever is honorable. And what Paul is saying here is meditate on whatever God says is noble and worthy of respect. This quality is also understood as, as that which is dignified, that which is serious. We live in a very non-serious culture, a flippant culture, even in the church sometimes. And Paul here is saying, no, we need to meditate on those things that that are serious, that have gravity uh, to them. Meditate on Paul's warning, for example. Very serious warning that, that he gives in Philippians chapter 3 about those Judaizers that were plaguing the Philippian church and trying to get them to put confidence in the flesh by adding to faith in Christ something like outward physical circumcision and Paul with very very seriously says in, in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 3 for we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh you see our minds should be set upon these warnings these important things these things of dignity these things that are serious in the kingdom of God, and not just flippant, fluffy nonsense. Thirdly, whatsoever is just. Meditate on what is right according to God. 
there is a lot of emphasis today about social justice and just about justice in general. And I'm not speaking against that, but I am speaking against justice that is out of accord with how God views justice and how justice is taught in the scriptures. And so we are to be a people who fill our minds with justice as God defines it. And this passage just came to mind, one of my favorite passages. If I had to have a passage that I would put at the bottom of my stationery, it would be this one. Micah 6, 8, he has told you, O man, what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly with your God? Meditate on what is just and right. And Paul gives us an example. If you, if you really want to drill down and say, okay, what is the most righteous, right thing I can meditate upon? I'll tell you what it is. And it's not my righteousness, and it's not your righteousness, but it's Christ's righteousness. Christ's rightness. God's justice satisfied because Jesus paid the penalty for our sin and we have pardon and has clothed us with his perfect righteousness and we have acceptance. Meditate upon what Paul writes in Philippians 3, 8, and fill your mind with the worth, the hope, the value of Christ's imputed righteousness. Indeed, Paul says, Philippians 3, verses 8 and following, Indeed, I count everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him. And listen to this, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that perfect righteousness of Christ, the justice of God. Right here in Philippians chapter 3, so whatever is just, whatever is right, whatever is righteous, how can we not think and fill our minds with the righteousness of Christ imputed to us? And then Paul says, whatever is pure, meditate on that which has not been tainted by evil and sin. That's another way, that, that, that's a way to understand what Paul means by pure here. Romans 12, 21, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. We see this what is pure is the opposite of what is evil. So meditate on what is good, what is pure, what is holy is another way to understand what Paul is getting at here. And Paul warned the Philippians about an evil. An evil that we see in chapter 3, verse 2, that there were some who called themselves believers. And they were not in reality. In fact, the apostle Paul calls them calls them enemies of the cross. They were trying to deceive the Philippians. And Paul says in verses, uh, chapter 3, 20 through uh, 21, 
to think about what is pure, what is, what is holy, what is good. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body by the power that enables him to subject all things to himself. May, may, may we meditate on living holy lives as citizens with a destiny that is a glorious, good thing, heaven itself. And then Paul says, whatever is lovely, meditate on that. Meditate on what is beautiful, what is enjoyable, what is pleasing. It's interesting that the Greek philosophers really, you could, you could distill their quest, what they were looking for, what they were wanting to understand. You can distill this down to three things. They sought to know the good, the true, and the beautiful. You read any of the Greek philosophers, you'll see expressions of this in most of their writings. Well, none of these, the good, the true, the beautiful, can be truly found apart from God though the Greek philosophers sought to, to do that, to find these things apart from God. They can find expressions of them, no doubt, God's common grace. But to know them deeply demands a relationship with the Creator, the one who created the good, the true, and the beautiful. What is beautiful? What, another way to ask this question is, what is admirable. What, what should we admire? A symphony by Beethoven. A servant's heart in a person. A sunset. A majestic mountain view. A repentant sinner. A vision of heaven in the scriptures, Christian fellowship and love, a beautiful painting that depicts the creation. See, these things are aspects of God being a God of beauty. And Paul says, set your mind, listen, there is so much ugliness in the world. Recently, I heard a, a podcast about Louisville, Kentucky. Do you know Louisville, Kentucky is one of the five most uh, greatest areas for human trafficking in our country? I didn't know that. Louisville, Kentucky? And there are just scores of women that are exploited in that town. And there was one woman and who gathered some other women to go to some of these nightclubs to try to minister to these women. And this one woman actually went up to a man sitting at a table. By the way, I'm not being terribly detailed here because we have young children, but you get the picture, don't you, what kind of club this is. 
there was a man sitting at this table. And so this lady, who, by the way, didn't wear any makeup, had her hair back and just had a black sweater on, not to, not to uh, cause any, <laughs> any issues. Uh, but she went up to this man and just began talking to him. It was the owner of this establishment. And, and, and this woman said that it just came to her mind. She said that it was the Holy Spirit that gave her this, and I don't doubt her. But this woman said, may we bring a home-cooked meal to the women who work here? And the guy said, let's talk about it. And he said, okay. And so every week, there's a group of women who go to one of these establishments that no respectable woman would ever be found in. By the way, no respectable man should be found in either. And they feed these women who are being exploited. So here's my point. Something beautiful in the midst of something ugly. Set your mind on these things, Paul says, that which is lovely. And one of the things that, that Paul identifies as truly lovely, beautiful, admirable is the love that exists between believers and the church. And he says in Philippians 1.8, For God is my witness how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ. May we fill our minds with all of these things that are lovely, that are beautiful, even if they are in the midst of utter ugliness. Because it is an expression of God's beauty in this broken world. And then Paul says, whatever, or what, whatever is commendable, meditate on conduct that is admirable before God. You know, we, we, let's face it, we probably spend far too much time meditating on what is not admirable in other people, right? <laughs> we, can fo- we, we, we tend to get fixated on those things that are critical. But may we be like Paul, who focused on those things that were admirable, those things that were commendable in the life of others, especially in the life and conduct of the Philippian church. And, and, and here is this one example, Paul in Philippians 1, 3 through 5, just, just admires in a praiseworthy way how the Philippians partnered with him in ministry. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine, for you all making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Don't you see Paul, Paul just meditating upon admiring these Philippians for their partnership in the gospel, that which is commendable? Well, that's the whatevers. Now we go to the if anys. There are only two of them. Paul covers all his bases with these if anys. If the preceding six qualities didn't hit everything, he surely covers them in these two remaining if anys. If there is any excellence. And what does he mean by excellence? I think he means moral and spiritual excellence. Moral and spiritual virtue may be another way to understand this. Meditate on these things. And for example, Paul in chapter 4 and verses 14 through 16 that we'll get to in a couple of weeks, 
says this, And you, Philippians, yourselves know that in the beginning of the gospel, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partnership with me in giving and receiving except you only. See, what Paul is doing here is that he is pointing out this spiritual excellent thing in the lives of the Philippians. They had the gift of giving. And he says, meditate upon things like that, these these morally, spiritually excellent things that are consistent with God. Meditate upon them. And then he says, secondly, of the if anys, if anything is worthy of praise, that if anything inspires worship, then meditate on this. You see, if anything is excellent, if anything inspires worship, he's really covering all of his bases here. And we need not go any further than last week, how we ended last week's message in Philippians chapter 4, verse, verses 4 through 7, to find something that is praiseworthy. Remember Paul. He gives this example that the Philippians received through thankful prayer, the gift of peace. And isn't it a praiseworthy thing to do to just honor God for the gift of peace that he gives us and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Eight, six what-ifs or whatevers, and two, if any's, right meditation. Meditation is not emptying our minds of everything, mindlessness. Meditation is filling our minds with the right things. The things that Paul lists here, the things of God. And when we are thinking about and considering as we're being overwhelmed by these realities as we meditate on them, then there's an expression of those things that actually come out in the way we live. When we meditate on the right thing, we practice living the Christian life in the right way. There is a link between meditation and practice. What's on our mind and what characterizes our living. So the second point, right practice. Practice these things, Paul says in verse 9. What is on your mind? Well, I've been asked that question, and sometimes I'm asked that question because someone senses that something is on my mind. That there's a burden, there's a concern, that the way I'm acting brings them to ask, man, Tim must be dealing with something or thinking about something. There's a link between what is on our mind and our outward lives, our countenance even. Well, what was on Paul's mind? The right things in verse 8 were on his mind. And they fueled his practice in living the Christian life. Said another way, if you really want to know what's on Paul's mind, just look at how he's living. And you should be able to understand what is on his mind. These eight things. 
what they, the Philippians, had learned and received and heard and seen, as Paul says in verse 9, from Paul, were to be imitated, put into practice. In other words, meditation leads to practice. Those things on which Paul had been meditating that fueled his practice, he's now saying to the Philippians, you imitate me, not only in meditating on the right things, but as you do, then your lives will be lived more after the way I'm living my life. And these things that characterize Paul's practice in living the Christian life, again, I'll say, flowed from right meditation. Paul links what's on his mind with his practice of living the Christian life. That's the point that Paul is making here, and it's something that we cannot escape. Let's look at some other passages. Psalm 119, verses 9 through 16. Write that down. Psalm 119, 9 through 16. Great passage. We're not going to read the whole thing, but I want you to read that later on today. But I will read verse 9. How can a young man keep his way pure? By the way, how can any of us keep our way pure? By guarding it according to your word. In other words, meditate upon the word, and that has, that's directly linked with how you live. Joshua 1.8 that Brandon read earlier, this book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it, for then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have good success. In other words, you see Paul linking God's word and our meditation upon it, these wonderful things of God, that being linked with how we live, how we practice living the Christian life. And then Paul says in verse 9, practice these things, and he says, the God of peace will be with you. Now, it's interesting. Look back at verse 8, or verse uh, 7, rather. We saw that the benefit of joy, gentle forbearance, and thankful prayer was the peace of God. And now Paul says that the benefit of meditating on the right things that leads to practicing the Christian life in the right way leads to the God of peace. The peace of God, verse 7, the God of peace Verse 9, the Hebrew word shalom, peace, means well-being, God's, God's peace that brings about well-being in the lives of his people. I mean, the ultimate reality of shalom is that we not only experience the peace of God, but we live in relationship with the God of peace. See, that's what Paul's point is here. I just uh, love the hymn. Jesus, what a friend for sinners. And one of the, one of the stanzas or, or the refrain of that hymn is this, Hallelujah, what a Savior. Hallelujah, what a friend. Saving, helping, keeping, loving, He is with me to the end. The God of peace is always with us, even when we struggle to discern His presence because our heart and our mind is not stayed upon him. 
when we meditate on the right things, we practice in the right way, and that enables us to sense more and more that we live in the presence of the God of peace. Because as we meditate on the right things and practice in the right way, we more and more align ourselves with God's kingdom, the principles of his kingdom, and we're able to sense his presence more and more. We benefit from the peace of God, yes, but we benefit from the presence of the God of peace. True meditation is not emptying our minds of everything as the website Mindful might teach us, but it's filling our minds with the right things, God's things. And when we meditate on the right things, we practice living the Christian life more and more rightly. And this leads not only to receiving the gift of God's peace, but being in relationship and really seeing and sensing that we are in the presence of the God of peace. Well, there's an article I, I came across in psychology uh, today that points out the danger of meditation, meditation in a secular cultural sense, Med meditation like what I described at the beginning from the uh, the, the, the society of uh, mindful. Um, the most profound interaction you experience in meditation, that is, emptying your mind of everything and focusing on your breathing, the most profound interaction you experience in meditation is an interaction with yourself. And it goes on to say that the problem with that is that you actually come to see buried and suppressed emotions and they say that's that's dangerous the most profound interaction we experience with true biblical meditation is the interaction with the God of peace meditation on the right things means that we're able to practice living the Christian life in the right way in the presence and in relationship with the God of peace. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the gift of peace, but also the gift of your presence. And we can live our lives in such a disconnection with you that, that we fail to sense your presence. You're always with us. You never leave us, but we can so quickly turn from you. But Father, I thank you that the, the lesson for us here in Paul's words is that true biblical meditation on the right things results in practicing the Christian life in the right way, aligning ourselves with you and sensing and living in your presence. And I pray, God, that that reality of the God of peace being with us may flood our hearts and our minds more and more. And we pray and we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.